Dirty Hands University Studios presents a DHU production. When I wake up in the morning, my alarm gets off the warning. I don't think I'll ever make it on time. By the time I grab a snack and I say what up, it's like I'm getting product to the shelf so I can watch it fly. It's alright, cause I'm saved by the dial. If the buyer needs a hand, he knows I'll understand, cause I'm ready when the call comes through. There'll be mega displays, getting dirty for days. If the order comes in late, there will be more to do. It's alright, cause I'm saved by the dial. Dirty Dot. What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode number five of The Dirty Dial. This one's all about cross-merchandising. That's right, Mike, or as I like to call it, Tinder. What are you talking about? Love is in the air, Mike. What? But you've never walked through an account trying to find the perfect romantic partner for your brands? A lonely bag of chips finally finding its dip? Can't say that I have. Just looking for a friend, man. Let's just get to the morning announcements. can this be? The last Wednesday of September? If you've only just dipped your toe into all that fall has to offer, you're about to be pushed into a vat of pumpkin puree. And like it. Welcome to the morning announcements. This week, we're talking marriage. Marriage. Marriage is what brings us together today. The marriage of two things, so perfect for each other that nothing can keep them apart. Except maybe a stubborn team leader and out of stock. Okay, think, think this. Think Jack and Rose. Think Squints and Wendy Peppercorn. Think Lady and the Tramp. Yes, Joey, do you have an example? Have you heard of chess boxing? Chess and boxing. That's not quite the pairing I had in mind. Just imagine the intensity of boxing and the mastery of chess. That's truly incredible, Joey. Thank you. Want to know something else incredible? Cross 
merchandising. It's the art of pairing two products together. Sure, they may be from two opposite ends of the store, two completely different worlds. Maybe she comes from the dairy section and he's on the dry shelf. And against all odds, they combine to create a loving partnership that lasts forever. Oh, yes, Sam. Professor, I'm really confused. What are you actually talking about? Okay, Sam, well, I didn't plan to do this here, but I, I guess we can. Listen, when two brands love each other very much, if the X's and O's of all of that seems a little daunting, we've got an expert in the house today to make it crystal clear. We've got the one and only Elliot, one T, on today's Campus Counselor, chatting strategy and opportunity with PDP. Now, go ahead, open up your sack lunch, because surprise, it's the devilishly handsome but slightly pungent Mikey Two Meals sprinkling a little sugar on this week's focus to make sure it goes down nice and smooth. Now, a match made in heaven, be on the bookshelf, and Lavinia Leopard. Don't be as wicked a wicked a wicked a whack and miss it. It's guaranteed to make you right out of your seat and run to try some of her suggestions. Who gets straight A's with the Dean this week? Well, the North Atlantic Retail Execution Team's got a newbie deserving of a little bit of love. Not to mention, gross services and management have two shining stars. The Dean will be <laughs> from the Expo East floor, so don't miss it. <laughs> what the f*** was that? Sorry, that's just Spirit Week. I can't seem to get it to understand that we're not celebrating it until the end of October. Wait, you tell me we're cross-merchandising Spirit Week with Halloween? You heard right, Sister Kate. All sorts of fun things planned. But for now, I gotta track the spirit down. You know what they say. Ghouls just wanna have fun. Alright everybody, freshen up what's possible this week. Fix your glasses and keep your eyes peeled for all the merchandising mayhem coming up in today's episode. Stay filthy, friends. We are here today at a cattle farm in Northern California. This farm is one of the farms where Country Archer sources its beef. We're in for a special treat. We're with a real life cow translator here to tell us what's on the minds of this cattle. Hi Don, so you can talk to cows. I can do a lot of things. Alrighty then, knowing that the average American buys 56 pounds of beef each year, what does this cow want the people to know? He wants to tell you how most cows are finished, which is another way of saying how they finish off the last part of their lives. Please tell us. He says most cows live the last six months in crowded pens with 700 other cows. There's, there's nothing for them to graze on and they're fed a high-energy, high-growth diet with no space to move or burn off any of that energy before they go to, you know. Slaughter. Don't say that in front of the cows, man. But, yes, because fatter cattle equals more money. How is it different on this farm? If you're a country archer cow on this farm, you live outside your whole life, you rotate where you graze, but always have plenty of space. These farms care a lot about treating their animals right, and they care a lot about dung beetles. Dung beetles. Did I stutter? I mean, there's not a lot of people that would be that happy about discovering dung beetles. It's a sign that things are changing. 
because when I got here, I could not find a dung beetle in any of our cow patties. Once you worm cows and then they dung on the ground, the bugs won't be attracted to that cow pie. And that's the whole point of wormers, to break the parasite cycle. So this is a more natural way to do it. Just come on in, dung beetles, just come on in. We want more. <laughs> Well, there you have it, folks. Seems as though the farmers who have partnered with Country Archer truly care about their livestock, the planet, and the quality of meat they're producing. And just like dirty hands, they find it important to get down to where the rubber meets the cow pie. We're proud to partner with Country Archer and their approach to doing things differently. This is where it starts, right here. And I think this is just like that next evolutionary step as a company to get down to the farm and just like understand the source. Oh, and one more thing. This cow says maybe mix in a salad. Spend a little time today in the counselor's office with Peter Ruiz. Think of him as your own personal Mr. Feedy. Believe in yourselves. Dream. Try. Do good. Don't you mean do well? No, I mean, do good. And with a better mustache. His pant length might be short, but his credentials, they're long. Welcome to the Campus Counselor. Blame it all on my roots. I showed up in boots and ruined your blind tie affair. The last one to know. The last one to show I was the last one you thought you'd see there And I saw the surprise and the fear in his eyes When I took his glass of champagne And I toasted you and said, honey, we may be thrilled But you'll never hear me complain Cause I got friends in long places where the Rounds and the beer chases my blues away. And I'll be okay. Hello, DH family. What is going on? It is your friendly campus counselor, PW, coming at you with another anonymous submission from the field. Today's topic will be about looking for unique cross merch placements. I believe we have somebody waiting outside the counselor's office. Let me check who it is. What? It's Elliot 1T, the national channel manager of retail execution. Brother Elliot, could you kick this segment off with some helpful suggestions or feedback for our anonymous team member submission? Totally. All right, let's go ahead and dive in. Dear Pete, going into stores jam-packed with all kinds of product and full of displays week after week, it can sometimes be hard to see the forest for the trees when it comes to finding unique placements for my brands and products. What strategies can I use to help me get better at spotting cross-merch opportunities when I walk my stores? Signed, looking but not seen. What a great topic to discuss on this episode, cross-merchandising. Pete, that's a great question. We're entering a great season to get after cross-merch. Stores are preparing to see increased customer counts for the holiday, and it's in their best interest to fill the floor up. There are a few strategies to deploy in identifying opportunity to fit our brands in with the other displays around the store. One, look for displays that are selling down quickly. Seasonal items tend to be treated as one and done, meaning 
there's a likelihood that the store may not intend to bring in more seasonal product to ensure they're sold through at the end of the season. Thin displays are an eyesore, and you could pitch adding an everyday item to a display that appears thin to help the store maintain a full appearance. Two, when I used to teach merchandising and retail, I would coach building the plate. This means as a shopper is moving through the store, they're often thinking about an occasion or a meal. Tying complementary items together is a no-brainer, but also consider what a consumer is shopping for in each various department. I love that concept of building a plate. Are there any examples you could share with the Dirty Dial listeners? Of course, man. Bakery screams dessert. And also breakfast. If you have brands with items that play well in either meal, they're probably a good fit in the bakery department. Another is specialty. Consumers are often looking to shop for a party, so think entertaining. Mixers wouldn't necessarily be served alongside cheese, but if a customer is building a cheese board, I'd bet they're also serving drinks. Damn, that's a great visual, and it makes a ton of sense. A couple of points for you listeners out there to also think about are themes, events, pricing, and signage. Absolutely. You'll want to keep your eyes peeled for any themes for in-store displays. There are a ton of different variables to pay attention to. As we go about our work in various accounts, we frequently encounter seasonal displays that reflect different occasions like holidays, summer, Valentine's Day, and more. During my time in the field, I would ponder a series of questions. Are we approaching summer or winter? Is there a thriving outdoor or backpacking community that aligns with our products? Are there cultural or ethnic themes being celebrated? That's right, Pete. Accounts will often be selling a story within that display. Incredibly important. Often, accounts construct displays with a specific story in mind. I encourage listeners to observe as you navigate through your accounts. Try to figure out what the narrative is. This exploration can uncover opportunities for our brands to complement and enhance stories being told. Another thing to think about is local events. Life is happening all around us, and we should be considering whether there's a major concert in town, a convention, or even a parade happening nearby. Mm. Might be a great opportunity to showcase deals or emphasize items that play into that event. Exactly. Also, when it comes to pricing, understanding the neighborhood dynamics is key. If you're servicing a more affluent area, consider prominently featuring our higher price SKUs to cater to the local demographic. Now, on the other hand, if your account faces stiff competition and the clientele leans towards budget-conscious choices, leverage our brand partner's available deals and be well-prepared to discuss price points with the decision-maker. Adapting our approach to local pricing landscape allows us to effectively meet the preferences and needs of our customers. Now, I want to spotlight this point. One of the most important pieces to all of this is signage. If the customer cannot identify the price point of the item, the chances of the customer walking away and our brand partners missing the sale is very high. If your signage ain't right, carts stay light. Ha, <laughs> you got that right, E. All right, Brother E with one T, give us some parting words for this segment. Sure thing, my dude. There are countless ways to put together a great ask with this strategy in mind. I'm always so excited to see what unique displays our teams are going to put up on Slack. Remember, fam, share what worked for you so others can try the same approach. Happy hunting. Have fun out there. Tap into your creative side. And remember, at the end of the day, it's just groceries. Peace and chicken grease, y'all. I want to give big love and appreciation to Brother E with one T for being our guest on today's Dirty Dial regarding cross-merchandising. Go Packers. <laughs> Damn it, that son of a... We also want to give big love and appreciation. We are so honored that you all invested some time with us today. 
on the dirty dial. As always, if you found any of this helpful, feel free to let us know during Win Wednesday using hashtag tip of the week. Much love, DH. Yo, it's me, it's me, it's Mikey T. Mikey Two Meals, baby, coming at you live from the menu. Today, we're forgetting all about a la carte. I got my eyes on the buffet today, baby. But there's just so many options. Do I get the Oysters Rockefeller? Nah, nah. Maybe Lobster Thermidor? Or perhaps the Shark Fin Soup? Or maybe I'll decide to unbutton my trousers and put this place out of business once and for all. <laughs> Have some more sloppy joes. <laughs> I made them extra sloppy for you. <laughs> I know how you kids like them sloppy. <laughs> Gross. No thanks, lady. Sloppy joes with a palate like mine? Beat it. That's just insulting. Hmm. How will I ever choose? Now that you mention it, sometimes I run into this problem at store level too. So much to do. So much I could do. I get so overwhelmed. Here's a little trick I use. Pick a brand. Just one brand. Identify a problem for that brand. Secondly, dust off your scale. Whoa, 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 whoa. Not that scale. Put that away. We're not checking for the freshman 15 over here. We're going to use the sliding scale approach to identify and hopefully solve one problem for one brand. Here's how that could sound. Hey, Mark, what's up? I just finished up slinging those yogurts. Can I ask you a question? On a scale from one to 10, how much would you consider giving Siggy's a second shelf? Second shelf, for Siggy's, I'd give that ask a five maybe. Why didn't you rate it a three or four? Well, it's a solid brand. Some of those top SKUs really do fly. What would I have to do to get that number to a 10? Well, for starters, I'd need coupons, and maybe some data on what sells best here. If we're doing a second shelf, it needs to have only the top movers. That's right! All of a sudden, the buyer's thinking critically right there along with you. They've told you what you need to do to move that needle. Sometimes the buffet and the options that go with it can give us indigestion. Here's my advice. Skip the sloppy joes and focus on identifying one problem for one brand and present the scale approach to a decision maker. It just might work. And remember, cook with confidence and dish out excellence. for a couple shout outs. 
First shout out, Mr. Dunnigan, for his work with his state of the brand tool that is making it so much easier to understand where our brands are at and what they need. KD, the real MVP, coming through. Second shout out goes to a newbie, Hannah G and Growth Services. Any task, any ask, any request, she's down, she's in. Building those connections to that headquarter at Global in Austin is a very big deal. And we're lucky to have her on board. Hannah G, big thanks. Last but not least, Austin. Coming through, baby. Boston's always been close to home for dirty hands. Austin's repping the big city the right way. Getting dirty, navigating issues, filling voids, getting displays. He's getting it done. He's winning them over. Austin, big thanks to you. Guitar solo. Much love from the Dean here. Sorry I was it. Stuck in the mud last week. Shout out to the principal of whoever she is. I'll see y'all next week. Imagine a world where time is limited and books stretch out into infinity. This is Beyond the Bookshelf with Lavinia Leopold. Join her on her quest to distill the wisdom of the ages, slicing through the verbose, 
and honing in on the absolute must-know treasures. She's your beacon of brevity, delivering the juiciest, most vital morsels of information so you can sip your morning coffee and emerge wiser. Beyond the Bookshelf, where books lose their bulk but not their brilliance. No time to read a book. Come and give us a look. Shorten up the boring stuff beyond the bookshelf. You want to learn some things. Just so you know, your brain will grow. It might not. Beyond the bookshelf. You can be anything. Maybe not anything. Give it a try while you drive beyond the bookshelf, beyond the bookshelf. Why We Buy, The Science of Shopping by Paco Underhill is a groundbreaking book that delves into the psychology and science behind consumer shopping behavior. While the book covers a wide range of topics related to retail and consumer behavior, one key aspect it addresses is the concept of effective cross-merchandising. As you know, cross-merchandising is a strategic approach to increasing sales and enhancing customers' overall shopping experience and involves placing complementary or related products in close proximity to each other. I've pulled a few of the main points from the book to help get your creative juices flowing when it comes to spotting unique cross-merchandising opportunities. The first is understanding the importance of observing and analyzing customer behavior to identify patterns and opportunities for cross-merchandising. Shoppers exhibit certain patterns and behaviors as they move through stores, and these behaviors can be harnessed to improve sales. For instance, Underhill identifies the transition zone as the area just inside the store's entrance where shoppers often pause to adjust to the new environment. This area can be optimized to capture customers' attention. Spend some time walking through the store with an open, practical mind to identify the items or categories in the store that naturally complement or pair with the best-selling SKUs of the accounts you manage. You can also ask the store what other products they have on promo or would like to push. Once you identify these products or categories, think of creative ways to strategically place them near each other so that one effectively advertises the other. Use visual or sensory cues to draw attention to cross-merchandised items. This can include using signage, color coordination, or even creating visually appealing displays that highlight the connection between products. Customers always look for a price point, so always make sure your product is tagged. Also keep in mind that if you don't have a price on the product, you'll lose out on sales as well as getting proper orders placed. 
maximize opportunities for targeted cross-selling, which is simply tailoring your cross-merchandising efforts to specific customer demographics or shopping occasions. For instance, what cultures and cuisines are highly represented in the area? What cultural holidays, traditions, and celebrations are honored in the community? If you're serving a Jewish community, you may want to emphasize products related to their holidays and traditions. Also, consider the competition in the area. If there's a lot of competition, the decision maker may value the price point more than anything else. Keep in mind that a big part of what you're trying to achieve is inspired or impulse purchases. You want to lead customers to discover products they may not have initially intended to buy, but are enticed to purchase when they see them nearby. So make it easy for customers to access cross-merchandise products. In addition to keeping displays at eye level, make sure the items are within reach and well-organized so that it's practically effortless for shoppers to select and purchase related items. Keep an eye on seasonal trends and current events to identify opportunities for cross-merchandising. And don't overlook the local events or current activities happening in the area that can be leveraged to enhance merchandising. For example, game day cross-merchandising can emphasize products like salty snacks, sweets, beer, and soda. In the summer, when more people are generally involved in higher-intensity physical activities, products like vitamins, supplements, water, drinks, and backpack goodies like jerky work well together. If the climate is more rainy and cold, our retailers may want to emphasize soups, crackers, spices, broths, liquids, and breads. Being mindful of what national holiday is coming up will also help with pairing items or price points together. For example, during the month of November, customers normally don't pay attention to price points and are more focused on entertaining the family. So November is a great time of year to emphasize high dollar and higher margin items to customers. In your displays, Consider ways to use signage or even information cards to educate customers on the benefits of purchasing cross-merchandise items together. In other words, use visuals to briefly explain how combining products, rather than consuming just one of them, can enhance their experience. And then there's trial and error. Experiment with different cross-merchandising placements and strategies and be willing to adapt based on the results. Track sales data and get customer feedback to refine your techniques. This iterative approach allows you to refine your strategies over time based on real-world results. In Why We Buy, Paco Underhill emphasizes that effective cross-merchandising is not just about boosting sales and enhancing the shopping experience, but also providing customers with convenience and inspiration. And you know I gotta ask, Dirty Hands family, what are some of the things you're doing out in the field to optimize cross-merchandising efforts and create win-win situations for our brands and business partners? If you've got any insights or strategies, please share them with us. Hey. 
Hey, Dirty Hands team. This is Nika. I'm the founder of Urban Remedy, and we are an organic food company. And I just wanted to say thank you for all of your support and hard work as we bring the mission of food is healing to our customers in the world. Every day, you are helping us heal people on the planet with nourishing foods that are designed for their healing benefits. From the way we source our produce to the salt we use, the oils we use, we have the consumer and planet in mind with every choice we make. Thank you, and I hope you have a beautiful day. In fourth grade, we read a really great chapter book. And after we finished it, my teacher brought the author in to talk to us about her book. She was a real writer. I don't remember her name. I only slightly remember that the book was about a ghost. But what I do remember to this day is the way that that writer held her book. Standing up there in front of us, she looked a lot like how a new mom cradles a baby with tenderness and love and an overflowing amount of pride. It's one of those memories that gets seared into your brain. And I knew back at that moment that I too, one day, wanted to hold a book I'd written like a baby in front of a room full of people. When I was a teenager, I'd stay up late in my room. I'd write love notes or poetry or stories. I kept journals with quotes and song lyrics. I was always writing, always trying to see the world around me in terms of pages that I could fill. At 37, mom of two, wife, business owner, and assistant soccer coach, my current lifestyle doesn't quite lend itself to the type of writing that I'd hoped I'd be doing. I have these daydreams about renting a cabin somewhere, alone with my computer and paper and really good Sharpie fine tip pens. I'd drink coffee, I'd get in the zone, and I'd emerge after a weekend with something really, really good. I have yet to rent that cabin, or pen enough pages for a book. Instead, I usually collapse onto our big gray couch at night, eat takeout, and laugh with Mike until we can't keep our eyes open. The only thing we cradle are the cups of dark roast coffee we know we shouldn't be drinking so late. And when I go to bed, I can't help but hear the words of E.B. White, author of Charlotte's Web. A writer who waits for ideal conditions under which to write will die without putting a pen to paper. Sometimes I Google, how the heck do people write books? That's my literal Google. How do people write books while living full, busy, kid-filled lives? Here are two things that I found out. Apparently, Stephen King, he forces himself to write just six pages a day. Just six. Ray Bradbury, author of Fahrenheit 451, writes one short story every week claiming that it's impossible to write 52 bad short stories in a row. Most of the time I'm walking around waiting to get hit by creative lightning at the perfect moment when the stars align and my kids are asleep and Mike's out of town and I have the time and everything falls magically into place. That never really happens. So instead I Google creativity, which if you think about it, in this week's topic of cross merchandising kind of comes in handy. That old saying, You know, think outside the box pops into my head. Now, stay with me. We're going to go down a bit of a rabbit hole, but we will circle back 
like we always do, I stumbled upon this TED Talk that I think we all can use. This TED Talk features a young artist named Phil Hansen, whose specialty was called pointillism, and that's making art out of really tiny little dots. And for so many years, his whole life, he gripped his pencil so tightly with so much focus that he started to develop a shake and all his dots started to look like little sperm. It freaked him out and he went to see a doctor. Turns out after some testing, it was discovered that all that gripping and all that focus had turned into permanent nerve damage. At first, he says, to me, this was it. This was doomsday. This was the destruction of my dreams of becoming an artist. He left art school and he left art completely for three years. And the only advice that he left with that day from the doctor was to embrace the shake. When Phil finally did go back to art three years later, he started to unpack what the doctor meant and he began to create art using this shake. And the results are absolutely incredible. I'll post some of it to general and you can see it for yourself. That idea to work within the shake, to work with it instead of against it, led him to put some other creative limitations onto his art, just to see what would happen. Some of them were, create a mural using only karate chops, create art using live worms, paint a mural using only your body as the canvas. And he begun to look at that old saying, like I did, think outside the box. He started to believe that maybe the opposite was true. He found that the more limits he put on himself, the more resourceful he became, and the more creatively he had to think. So he steps inside the box, and the box becomes a positive place rather than what's holding him back. I look back at the words of Stephen King and his six pages daily goal. He doesn't sit down and task himself with writing a full book. He put himself every day into a six page box, and that has helped him write 50 books and sell 350 million copies of those books. You think about Twitter, you know, you have 140 characters, that's all you get. So you've gotta be as effective and creative and clear and clever as possible so that you get your message across because you don't get unlimited space to say what you want. This got me thinking about store level. Store level has never been the type of place where we've had unlimited access. We've never had free reign to do what we want. And the ideal conditions, they never come. We have always had to live within the confines of whatever retailer or store or team leader. And maybe until now, we've always seen it as a problem. Our store level creativity and our ability to see new homes and new opportunities for our brands, maybe they can be enhanced by the limits set around us. So next time Eddie Spaghetti tells you, look for opportunities, think outside the box, Listen to him, of course. He's Eddie Spaghetti, after all. But if that type of thinking overwhelms you, if it's too big for you to make sense, then maybe go back into the box and narrow your focus. Give yourself the limitations. Ask yourself, can I make a mural using only hamburger grease? And yes, you can. And it will be incredible if you're Phil the Artist. These limiting factors allow our minds to think a little smaller, and to get creative in ways that we might not have had access to, should we have had the ability to do whatever we want, whenever we wanted to do it. 
It's why giving myself two hours on a Monday night at Barnes & Noble with a notebook and a really great pen and a slice of pumpkin cheesecake, writing even one page, makes me feel like a writer. You know, maybe not the kind that sells 350 million copies, but you have to start somewhere. So make your box into a home. Decorate it. Don't run from it. And see what happens. Stay dirty. And they all play on the golf course and drink their martinis dry and they all have pretty children and the children go to school and the children go to summer camp and then to the university where they are put in boxes and they come out all the same and the boys go into business and marry and raise a family in boxes made of ticky-tacky and they all look just the same there's a pink one and a green one and a blue one and a yellow one and they're all made out of ticky-tacky and they all look just the same It's just f- groceries. It's just f- groceries.